Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. And when he says with me, he means with me because we're both in Toronto at the same time. We are in Casa del Sammy, and we are recording the podcast uh, in person, which is something we very rarely do. Greetings, human listeners. Do you ever say that anymore? No, you know what? I'm turning over a new leaf today. It's going to be different. Well, Ben is right. The planets have aligned, or the stars have aligned, or whatever planetary bodies uh, we are referencing. Quasars. <laughs> have aligned. And uh, we're doing this live, uh, at least in terms of live being to, in the same place. Yeah, live on tape. <laughs> Um, for people who don't know, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and uh, we love to talk about the latest going-ons in the world of the automotive industry. And in Sammy's case, the latest going-ons occurred on the West Coast just last week, and they occurred under the stars of Subaru. That's 100% right. I like that reference. Um, I drove the brand new 2018 Subaru Crosstrack all over Vancouver Island, um, pretty much in the greater Victoria area, and we also got to take it on track and off-road. Uh, the big story with the impre- uh, sorry with the Crosstrek is that it borrows a foreshadowing. It borrows the new platform from the Impreza, which is a global scalable architecture uh, that Subaru will be switching almost all of its models to in the near future. I think the only car that won't get that new platform is the BRZ, mm, which doesn't bode <laughs> well for the future of the BRZ, folks. <laughs> It's like whenever a company tells you, well, we're not spending any development dollars on Vehicle X, <laughs> but on every other vehicle, it's a, it's usually a, a flashing neon sign of some description. The other really cool part about this car is that all CVT-equipped vehicles um, will get their X-Mode drive mode, which is a, a big deal to Subaru fans. What is, uh, what is X-Mode? What does that mean? It's a button that you... First of all... It's more than just hill descent control, which is what a lot of people think that it only... It okay, so so for people who maybe are not familiar with Subaru, every Subaru, again, except the BRC, <laughs> comes with all-wheel drive standard. But that doesn't necessarily mean you want to go off-road. But the idea with X-Mode is that maybe you do want to go off-road, right? And X-Mode is designed specifically to optimize traction and reduce slippage when going off-road. And uh, we had a chance to drive it... Um, with X-Mode and without X-Mode, and there actually is a huge difference in the way that it kind of generates torque uh, through torque vectoring or brake vectoring to get a car inching forward through really crappy terrain. So does X-Mode, does it do anything, does it have any interaction with the center differential on the car, or is it entirely brakes? It seems to be entirely software-based. It's not just brakes, but it's also um, um, throttle-like application, or, or at least... I wouldn't say that it, it changes... It's not like it locks... So let me just back up for a second. Manual Subarus all come 50-50 front to, front to rear. Are they all 50-50 or are only the high-performance cars 50-50? Because I was researching um, Outbacks, mm -hmm. and there are a number of different systems that they use for the all-wheel drive system. And they they went, in, in the early years of the Outback, they were changing the splits around front and rear even on the mechanical systems. And then I realized that I, the WRXs have always been 50-50. That's right. So they're saying that the, the Crosstrek is also 50-50. You order it with the new six-speed manual? Yes. The manual models always come 50-50, but the CVTs are a little bit more front-biased. I believe they're 60-40 uh, set up that way, but I believe they can also transfer um, torque front to rear in, in, whatever, in a slip-and-grip sort of situation. Um, but anyways, this X-Mode really helps in that... Uh, 
with uh, with off roading. We actually took it up uh, some really impressive grades. This is what really like surprised me. Maybe I'm I'm a, too much of a of a green guy going off road, but a 62 and a 72 percent grade. Uh, they looked really like intimidating at the at the base of the hill, and um, we put we, I put my foot into the mat into the mat just from the from the very beginning. It's not like I had momentum to go up the hill. Uh, I put my foot into the gas pedal and we went up it. And uh, you can tell that the car was really struggling uh, at once it reached a certain area, uh, maybe halfway, maybe just past halfway up the hill. Um, again, this car doesn't have a lot of power. 152 horsepower from a engine that's apparently using 80% new components. Um, and the old one made only 148 horsepower, so it's not a huge change in power. I'm nodding silently in agreement. So what happened instead, though, is that this X-Mode really started, you know, kind of inching this car forward bit by bit, um, and it made it, and it was really impressive to, to do that. And once we started going downhill as well, um, X-Mode acts like a, a hill descent control. It holds at about five kilometers an hour. Uh, and can allow you to control yourself down these uh, down any slopes. Well, you know, if it is a brake-based um, traction management system, then what you experience going up that hill, theoretically, a brake-based system is going to kill your momentum, right? Because you're not actually... You, it's more than just cutting power. You're, you're slowing the wheel spin with the brakes, so that's going to... It's going to sap some of the momentum you had. So if you get to a certain part of the, of the, the incline, I assume the computer has to decide what's more important forward motion or wheel spin and it has to make a bargain with itself and mm-hmm. accept a certain amount of wheel spin to keep you going so what was interesting is seeing somebody uh doing it without the x mode and the car went up started slipping and just could not could not go up anymore did any of the cars just flip over backwards no in a very comical fashion no that didn't happen um and we also did some really uh funny stuff we uh took the car through a water crossing uh made big splashes for the photographers and some people were told not to do that again because uh they might have hit that water a little too hard. Uh, and we also went on a seesaw, which is something that I didn't think um, you could encounter in your regular commute. But if you live in an area which has a, pretty much a rock, <laughs> like a, a fulcrum, like a rock, and a no road, one, a no road one in the history of human driving has ever driven over a rock fulcrum. <laughs> A like, road, a road on a rock, fall like some kind of Flintstone. Flintstones prop left over. Remember the remake with Halle Berry and uh, John Goodman? Yeah, yeah. I don't even think they had that in that movie, and that movie had everything. So that was all the off-road, uh, and you, but you knew that a Subaru, a Subaru crossover can go off-road. Were you ever questioning that a Subaru can go off-road in that way? It depends on your definition of off-road. I think that. Um, gravel, Subarus, mud, gravel hills. is not off-road though. I mean, I think a graded surface uh, that's muddy is you know good territory for yep. a Subaru. But I think once you start getting fairly seriously off-road, uh, wheel articulation becomes somewhat of an issue, and ground clearance is is good on these cars. But you know, approach angles and departure angles start to become more important. So I wouldn't call them serious off-roaders, but I think that like 90% of what people consider off-road could probably be accomplished by an Outback or a Crosstrek or something. It's not... Yeah. There's a guy who drove the entire Rubicon Trail in a stock Ford Crown Victoria. So um, I think he had it lifted a little bit, but he didn't change anything in the drivetrain. So you can make cars do a lot of things you wouldn't think they would do and that were never, never, never designed to do. 
But you know, you know, in order to do something like that, you need to have a certain amount of um, understanding of how the car drives. I mean, a, a yeah. Subaru is meant to be a more mainstream vehicle. You're not supposed to know. That's the, that's Subaru would be very happy to hear their cars described as mainstream. I think that that's uh, that's something <laughs> they've been striving for for many years. Well, you're, you're supposed to just if if you're if I think the the general public, if they think they've got a Subaru, just like if they have a Jeep, they think they can go. Uh, and tackle no oh, yeah. matter what Jeep, even if it's a Jeep, compass you can or a renegade. In a snowbank in the mall, and it's totally cool. <laughs> um, but we did more than just take it off road. We actually took it on the track, which is a really weird place to take a, tr- a cross track, which is a compact SUV. Um, those aren't associated with going on the track, not at all. And and nor would I think there would be any pleasure to be derived from such a thing. Pleasure, absolutely not. But uh, there was a little bit of education. The new architecture is supposed to be stiffer, uh, and there's completely new suspension that really helps the car feel more stable, uh, less body roll, and we got to test that out firsthand on the track, and that was what that was designed to do. Um, clearly, nobody was uh, hankering for second runs around the course, and they just wanted to get to that off-road section as soon as possible, um, and we took the same cars that we took on the track uh, into the off-road course, which is also a really cool um, approach to the situation. Now, I know I asked you this off microphone, but I was curious as to whether you got to drive a previous generation cross track back to back on the track to compare and see how much uh, more planted or stiffer it felt? Uh, we didn't, but we did watch a video of the two cars doing a uh, slalom course and um, we kind of freeze-framed it to see how much more body roll was achieved in the in the 2017, the previous generation model, and the 2018. So we're kind of using Subaru's, um, what they're saying, we're using their word right now on that situation. Right. But the car felt much more... Uh, agile and responsive than I remember it. I don't know if you if have you when the last time you drove a cross track was. It's been a couple of years, but I do recall it being a very very sluggish and a very uninteresting car to drive. I do remember it being sluggish. Um, what I the cross track? I mean, it's a good idea, mm-hmm. but it's essentially a heavier, taller Impreza, and they never addressed the the issue of power, and you need yep. more power to move more weight. I. Recently, I had a friend ask me about you know a vehicle, and they were curious as to what would be a good option for their particular needs. And they've been looking at small SUVs, and I suggested a Crosstrek, but I also suggested that they drive an Impreza at the same time because, in terms of practicality, they're virtually identical. Mm-hmm. And if you don't need that ground clearance, then you don't, shouldn't pay more for it, nor should you pay more at the fuel pump for fuel mileage. I mean, there's going to be a differential in the real world just because of the weight and the aerodynamics of the vehicle. You know what? You bring something up really important. In the past, the Crosstrek was more expensive, but it automatically came in a higher grade uh, trim, or it came with more equipment. Now Subaru has introduced a base model called the Convenience, um, which will appeal to, which costs around twenty three thousand um, Canadian. Which again is you can get an Impreza for cheaper than that. Um, but you know what? Why don't Why don't I just continue talking about this vehicle because where they really stepped up their game was the interior. I don't know if you remember Subaru interiors. Uh, they're not the sexiest part Sometimes, of the car. Sometimes, I mean, you could use the word stark to describe them. Stark, Spartan, uh, uninteresting. But with the legacy, the recent legacy, I think they really went in the right direction. And I think that the interiors are much uh, of that particular midsize model and the Outback are much nicer than they used to be. Okay, so how, what would you think? We're talking the Crosstrek, a, a, an entry-level crossover. What would you think if you could get it with two-tone leather interior? 
Well, I'm more curious as to what the convenience looks like inside. Did you, oh, get, yes. did you get to see it? Uh, it's very basic. It's cloth. Um, they still have, you know, Subaru has like uh, an infotainment display, and then they have another display on top of the, the yeah, dash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This still has those two screens, but the the display above the dash is far, is like old school. It's a, it's a little bit more LED. That display above LCD. the dash, when it first came out in the Crosstrek, was exclusive to Canada. You could not get it in the U.S. Really? Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, it was not a multifunction display there. It was, I think, some kind of clock or something yep. else. Like, it was still there, but it didn't have any of the features the Canadian ones did. I'm starting to think that maybe that's what the convenience has uh, instead of that multifunction display. Anyways, the car comes with standard Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, which is going to appeal to some buyers. I know you're still on the anti-Apple CarPlay Android Auto bandwagon. I have my reasons. I know. They just won't pay you. That's why. <laughs> and... Um, the interior is really, really nice. Um, build quality and material have uh, have gone up nicely uh, in terms of quality. And uh, I don't know why, but Subaru Crosstrex seem to have this really cool orange stitching. They said they did uh, focus groups and people really resonated with this orange stitching inside the car. So Ben, if you could choose any stitching you would put in your car, what color would it be? I guess it would have to be orange. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think the people have spoken and I don't want to be on, in the out group. So I'm definitely orange for everything. Orange on black leather, orange on orange on white leather for like a creamsicle kind of effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sun-kissed almost. Yeah, yeah maybe like a orange, like a highlighter orange mm. across the dash or an orange rainbow where it's just various gradations of orange. <laughs> you know, the, the possibilities of orange are, are endless. Um, it's kind of like, it reminds me of, I uh, remember when Audi was really all about that baseball glove interior. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the TT. Yeah, the TT. And, and they talked about it all the time and like, it was super in your face with the stitching. And, mm -hmm. and then, it, it, I mean, at the time, I realized you just said at the time that there it is again, three times in a row. Um, it was, it was unusual. Mm -hmm. I mean, people weren't, it was, there was a Viper that was like that too, I believe. Uh, that I can't remember if it was called a Connolly leather edition where it was like a really, in your face leather with grain and and maybe it's a saddle you don't know but uh yeah i don't know didn't anyway the didn't the tundra have that uh, a very similar saddle like leather in the 14 what's it called 1794 i almost got a number right now. heritage <laughs> ranch edition I, yeah it, i maybe i, I think it also <laughs> <laughs> ooh Who's driven a Tundra? Let us know if you've driven a Tundra lately. Uh, maybe tell me and Ben what the interior's like. If you own a 1794 Tundra, we want to hear from you because I've got questions. I'm just curious. I'm just curious. I don't dislike the Tundra, but I have questions. So my complaints with the vehicle um, carry over from last year. The car's engine is not uh, robust enough. Um, and um, while they've improved the interior, there's... There's, I don't know if they've, they've made enough of a change for in, uh, cargo space. The rear seat space has improved uh, dramatically, but I don't think cargo space has improved significantly as well. And so I think, what, were you, what were you hoping to see? Like, it's the same platform, isn't it? No, it's a new platform. It's a new platform, I'm it's sorry. new platform. But as compared to the Impreza, yes. you were thinking that you were going to see an improvement Something. versus the hatchback. That would, be, that would be really, really nice. But it's never like that. You, I, I mean, it's it, and it's not Subaru's being at fault i think that any automaker who shares a platform i mean that's what it means share the platform is shared and there's not a substantial difference in interior because i would like to think that 
all versions of that platform are pushing the limits of what they can do in terms of volume and comfort. Right. right? So we hope so. Yeah. So they can't necessarily make the hatch smaller than the but crossover. This, and I guess you're right because this is also going to be the the platform underpinning the upcoming ascent and the rest of the model lineups. So In the ascent, it'll be bigger. Though, it's going to be big. Gonna be all the, the Forester, the, the Outback, they're all going to get bigger. The and ascent bigger. is going to be the full size Subaru that we haven't had in the lineup for I guess four or five years now. I don't yeah. know how long the Tribeca. I don't know how long it's been since the Tribeca did its Irish goodbye (laughs) (laughs) and just like ghosted the party, but yeah, it's been a while. Um, And you know what? Talking about interior quality will uh, will bring up a story regarding interiors uh, a bit later because I want my I want the listeners after they've you know they're considering turning off the podcast at this point because we're talking about Subarus. (laughs) Unnamed Subaru Podcast dot com. Why don't you tell them where you've been this past weekend? What brings you to Toronto? Because you were just passing by. I was. The highway is literally. I can see it right now. The highway I was just on. Um, But uh, yeah, I I went to Detroit this weekend. Actually, I've been in Detroit the last couple of days, and I drove from Montreal. It's about nine nine and a half hours. And I was there for the Roadkill Nights at the M1 Concourse in Pontiac. You want to plug Roadkill a little bit more? Roadkill, Roadkill Nights, Roadkill. Um, what is Roadkill Nights? We first told me about this. And first of all, that sounds great. It sounds like it sounds like Cars and Coffee, but with a, a rougher edge. <laughs> oh, it's it's well beyond Cars and Coffee. So the, the, the whole, this is the third year they've done it. And this is the second year it's been at M1. And uh, the idea is... Uh, if you're a roadkill fan and you have a, a drag car and that drag car happens to be street legal and you can drive it there on street tires, um, you're welcome to come and race on Wilbert Avenue. We shut down a stretch of the of the famous boulevard where mm-hmm. so much street racing went on in the 60s and 70s. It still goes on today. I was in Detroit for an hour and somebody tried to street race me in my Cadillac. <laughs> and he's like in a Colorado pickup and he like pulled up beside me and hit the rev limiter on his car and started waving at me and... Then gave me this big thumbs up, and it was it was weird. But um, in any case, we had uh, I think hundred and fifty race cars. Just how Chevy fans approach it. Chevy, oh, sorry, GM owners. I don't approach know. Each other. It was it was a, it was an experience. But uh, we had a, maybe hundred and fifty race cars, and then another two hundred show cars, maybe. Cool. And we also had three hundred Vipers because it's that, is that included in the other no collection of. No, there was a viper. There was a viper paddock just for three hundred vipers. Yes, that's almost as much as the other two numbers combined. So, well, yeah, it's interesting because we had a show and shine aspect to the weekend. I keep saying we. I mean, I I I contribute to Roadkill, but this is really the brainchild of uh, uh, David Freiberger, Mike Finnegan, and Alana Scher. They they did a lot of the heavy lifting, and of course, the entire support team from the magazine and the the YouTube series. And Motor Trend on Demand. It was it, this is a huge effort. It went very very well. Um, we had a few weather issues. Uh, other than that, just some some spouts of rain throughout the day. But people, we had about thirty thousand people show up, and I would like to think everyone had a good time. Uh, there were a lot of families there. It was very open. Uh, people just hanging out, talking about cars. And <laughs> if you wanted to park your car on the concourse, you could. It's it's not an it's a it's a very democratic type of thing. There was. You know, obviously it favors muscle cars because that's kind of the whole rogue kill sprouted from the forehead of Hot Rod. But mm-hmm. there were a few imports there. There were a few super weird cars there. Um, and the this, the racing was great. We also had, there was a, a funny car there. There was a, um, that did a burnout because the, the Woodward Avenue 
it, it looks wide when you're driving it on in in a streetcar, but once right. you put like concrete barriers on either side to protect pedestrians and, right. and fans, it starts to look a little narrow. <laughs> so there was also a nitro car that did a, a burnout. Uh, Leia Pritchett was there, and um, th- her burnout was you know y- y- you you kind of let off about halfway down the track so that you have room to brake. And uh, the other funny thing about the track was at the start line there was a train track that cut across the track and it made me think of there's at one point we had the train goes by five times a day and you can't do anything about that that's just how the train is right so at one point we had to stop everything right so the train could go by and it made me think of fast and furious yeah because yeah. it's like i was just like that, that or train. literally any car chase move or like car chase in a movie well, when there's a train like dominic toretto is yeah. like that that train truck's a quarter mile from here yeah when the light turns green, I'm going to go for it. And I'm like, seriously? This is just, this is happening for real. But um, there were some pretty serious cars there. There were some six-second streetcars. And uh, there are not Holy. many of those in the world, <laughs> okay. let alone, you know, Detroit area. So it was very cool to talk to those owners. And uh, some of the cars are running uh, methanol. Some of the cars, sorry, uh, they're, they're running alcohol. Some of the cars are running race gas. Um, some of the cars are just straight-up streetcars with sticky tires. I talked to a guy who had a... A 2014 Dodge Ram short bed with a couple bolt-ons, like some SRT exhaust manifolds and a, and a different intake. And he had sticky tires on, and I saw him take out a few guys. You know? What? Yeah, he That's took my out favorite. He took out a few race cars. That's and amazing. It's very cool. There was a guy. There was it, a, well, it goes to show. We've said this for for a lo- uh, like a lot recently. Tire technology has advanced a lot, and yeah. the right tires can are make all the difference. And and you know, on a surface like asphalt. Like you drive on the street, it's nothing like a racetrack. Right. I mean, if you where we were on Woodward, if you touch the ground, there are little rocks and pebbles and stuff in the asphalt. And if you're a racer, trying to hook up on that is really tough. They were preparing the track as best they could, but you can't go in there and drive it like you're at the drag strip. Mm. So all the pros, there's a little bit of a, a leveling. Like I say, pros. There are some. You know, it's a it's a pro versus amateur, amateur versus amateur. It's everyone's yeah. welcome. But it kind of levels the field a bit because you can't use uh, the stuff that always works um, that you use every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You know, like you have to go in and figure out what the traction is like, and mm-hmm. you can't just hammer it and, and get the grip that you're used to getting. So that kind of it, it evens things out a bit. There were some weird cars there too. There was this guy in like a big block Corvette from the '70s. And on the inside door of the car, there was this, like, papier-mâché pornography from, like, the era. You know, it was like someone had taken pages of weird porn and, like, glossed over it. And instead of door panels, that's what he... I didn't talk to that guy. He gave me, like, a weird eye when I was walking by. (laughs) But uh, there was some some guy... I talked to a guy um, whose car he was driving. It was the first car he bought when he was 16 years old. And 18 years later, he still has it. It's a 67 Chevelle. Whoa. He was driving that. There was a guy there in a Tesla Roadster. Okay. And uh, he said that the thing about EV drag racing that he likes is he just mashes the pedal and the car does everything for yeah. him. So uh, he he was at Roadkill the year before uh, in a different vehicle. But this time cool. he's like, I'll bring the Tesla. So I wanted to, first of all, it brings up so much really interesting um, topics. This Roadkill Nights. First of all, it's amazing that there, that Roadkill has this audience uh, was it anything before? This is the second year? It's this is the third year. Third the first year. year they did it at the Silver Dome, and it okay. was, there was not a lot of room to do stuff. Okay. So you couldn't really go that fast. And this, last year they also did it in the same place. Uh, uh, and this year it was, the, it was much more organized. I mean, you do something often enough and you start to realize what works and what doesn't. Right. So it went much more smoothly from what I understand. About, I had not attended last year. And about 100, uh, over 100 
cars, actual actual running cars. I would say there were 150 cars that raced, yeah. and they each got three runs, and then it went into like an elimination for it was an elimination format. Um, and there was a ten thousand dollar prize. It says a lot to you. It says a lot to your audience to to love that to come into it and and participate. And it also said a lot about the type of people that uh, own these kinds of cars because you also said it was a very family friendly event. Oh yeah, there were kids everywhere. I mean, um, I, I I don't want to I don't want to typecast or stereotype, but a lot of people think that those two things don't mix. Even like some some in like heavy. Car enthusiasts might not be the family type, but Dra- these ones. Drag racing's not like other forms of motorsport. Um, it's much more accessible, I think, because anyone can do it at any stoplight. Mm-hmm. And once you once you factor that in, it, it it becomes affordable as well. If you want to go to a drag strip, you can pay five to ten dollars and run on a Friday night or a Tuesday night or something. So. Uh, you see a lot of families uh, who have been doing it for generations. Like there are guys there with their fathers and daughters there with their their mothers who, and they pass this on down and it's something they do together and they work on the car together. You know, someone gets older and they pass the car on to a child because the child has the energy to keep it going. Cool. And uh, it's it's not nearly as expensive as lap. Like I, when I was young, when I was 18, 19 years old, drag racing was all I did because it's all I could afford. And you don't necessarily need any specialized equipment to do it. You can show up in any car, and you're basically racing yourself. Right. You know, you don't have to have the fastest car. Just there. the timer. Yeah. Exactly. So that's all really cool. I'm really, I'm really glad that you, sh- you, you're spreading that actually a little bit more because uh, we need people to stop drag racing um, in unsafe areas, and we want them to, to drag race in more. Um, safer zones when there's people there that you that can help you or aka can, the track or a track yes. that's made on the street in Woodward <laughs> but you gotta talk to me about this next thing 300 Vipers yeah so um, as you may or may not be aware uh, out in the listenership the Viper is a dead man walking um, that vehicle has been cancelled mm-hmm. the Chrysler was unable to replicate any of their past sales success with the current generation, which is the saddest thing ever considering this is by far the best Viper in terms of performance, comfort, daily driving. Yeah, um, Absolutely everything about the car is outstandingly engineered compared to any previous Viper. It, it takes takes all the issues that they had with the, you know, the, the one, the first generation that was basically a concept car you could buy all the way up to um, the ones that didn't even have a clamshell hood anymore. So... This it's also I believe roughly the 25th anniversary of okay. the Viper this year. Yeah, that makes sense. So they had a huge gathering at the Connor Avenue assembly plant, which is where the Viper has traditionally been built. It has its own plant. It's built by hand, um, and they invited a bunch of Viper owners, and they showed up because Viper owners are not like other car owners. Uh, it's a unique group of people. It's a car that you really have to want to own. I don't think anyone casually owns a Viper. Or if they do, I don't think they own it very long. Like If, yeah, you, yeah. if it's an impulse buy, you maybe own it a couple months, and then you decide you can't live with certain things. Well, absolutely. Um, so I, I was invited to that. Roadkill was invited to that. And we happened to have in the uh, our fleet for the weekend a brand new ACR Voodoo 2. Which is a special edition. It's mostly an appearance. That's package. a lot of that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff. Hold yes, on. The, I know the I know the Viper. I know the ACR, which is the American Club Racing. Yes, which is the full aerodynamic package. Absolutely amazing track car. Not the track the TA one. No, that's a that's a less focused version okay. of the car. 
So there's different grades of how track focused this card. Is. Yes, this is a very this is I. What's Voodoo Two? I've never heard that before. I believe it's. It, you know that's a good. I like question. How you when you. Well, he, I have that you kind of you gave me a half head like head shape. So it's a special like, edition of the Viper. <laughs> In the last year of the Viper, they've been putting out a lot of special editions. Yes, and it and makes, people are buying them. Yes, because you know everyone wants to. You're not going to be able to get them anymore. Mm-hmm. So why not grab one now, and why not grab one that's unique? And what what also is kind of off topic, but Chrysler's introduced this customization program, GTC, what, I believe. The, one, the oh, okay, one of one, one kind of, of deal. One, yeah. So you can get your Vipers in almost any color combination. It's so cool. And what's cool is people are taking advantage of it because. Did you see? Yes, at the at the event, I saw amazing shades of blue. I saw a dark green Viper that had a rear carbon fiber applique that's that was also so painted awesome. green. Yeah. Um, there's an amazing, like a beige sandy color that's out now that looks incredible. So that's, it also gives you a look at, into the mind of, of Viper owners. They're, oh, they want a unique, a completely original car. They're buying colors. I that's mean, awesome. you can't do that with a lot of sports cars. There's only two colors available with the Miata, for example, <laughs> yeah, which is a great is sports shades car. or red? Yeah. There's, <laughs> is there a blue now? I think there might be a blue. So. so, you know, that's a great classic sports car that came out in roughly the same era as the Viper. Right. And yet it's fallen prey to the same design stuff that is... All across the industry, everyone wants silver, black, or white. Right. It's re- resale colors. Um, anyway, so we had the ACR, which is a black with a with a, a racing stripe on it. It was it's a gorgeous car. Um, I was given the onerous task of driving the Viper around because mm-hmm. uh, Alana, who had been Alana Share, my editor, who had been driving the car uh, for most of the week, had other things to do uh, at at the Roadkill Nights event early that morning. So I showed up at the Connor Avenue assembly plant. I got to tour the plant. I got to talk to a lot of Viper owners. The car I was driving was serial number one of the Voodoo Twos. And, I, and during the course of the day, I had the guy who had bought number six and the guy who had number two come up to me. And Whoa. I had a 12-year-old kid correct me on uh, how many <laughs> had... It was hilarious. Uh, I was Someone asked me, like, how Did many... Did you offer him a job? Well, I don't think he was interested. <laughs> he Someone asked me... Um, how many of them had been built and I was like I think there are about 25 of them and there's this kid who's like standing maybe four feet away on his phone and he's like no he's like there's 31 <laughs> and he doesn't even look up and he's like my father bought one and then he walks away and I'm like alright that, that qualifies you shut me down right cool. there and then um, what was cool was they did a big group photo of all the Viper owners and then we did a parade from Connor Avenue to mm-hmm. Pontiac which is where the M1 concourse is or nearby near to Pontiac I think it actually is in Pontiac actually um, anyway, M1 Concourse is a private racetrack, which is on Woodward, which is where you know gotcha. we had the facilities for Roadkill Nights. So I ended up number three in line of this huge train of Vipers. Three hundred potentially. Yeah, I don't 300 know. Three hundred in that? No, no. I don't no. know how many did the parade. Okay. Because not everyone did, but not a lot everyone of, wants the attention. <laughs> I would say probably at least two hundred did the parade. Uh, some people showed up on their own. Uh, they left early. What is the Viper Parade called? What well, is a group of Vipers called? I don't know. Is, is, is it a, it's a tangle? I thought it was a tangle. A tangle of Vipers? <laughs> well, we had a police escort. Ooh. Uh, with, as you must with any, when any gathering of Vipers happens. It was incredible. I mean, normally when, when there's police and Vipers involved, it's a very different scenario. But in this yeah. case, they were blocking roads. They had all the motorcycles zooming by us Wicked. to like, cut to the intersection and close it off. And I'm sure everyone who was just trying to get home... On a Saturday morning, was super pissed off, <laughs> but uh, so we get ten minutes into. We're driving about fifteen twenty miles an hour, and it's maybe like I don't know eighteen twenty miles to to Pontiac. 
and the the fuel light comes on in the Viper I'm driving. No mm. one's looked at the gas gauge. We've been driving it around all week, right? Watching um, the fuel light come on in an, in an 8.4 liter V10 <laughs> engine, it probably happens a lot. It gets, it? it gets 12 miles per gallon. That's what we were getting. Oh, okay. Um, and so I texted Alana, and I'm like, hey, how far can I drive with the, with the fuel light on in the Viper? And she's like, maybe 30 miles. And in my mind, I'm thinking... You know, at a low RPM, lugging the engine around, I don't know what the mileage is realistically. So I start to worry a little Did bit. Did you not take a look at any of the display? I guess the Viper wouldn't have a mileage display. Well, when it gets to low, oh, it, just, it, just, it, says, just, says low. it just says low. It just cancels out everything. Yeah. It makes you guess. So I love that. We get to an intersection, and we have to stop for a bit, I guess, to let all the cars catch up, and also to block future intersections. And they were kind of relieving traffic pressure. And... um <laughs> we're right beside a marathon gas station and I'm I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the gas station I'm looking at it and I'm like screw it I'm just gonna do it so like I pull into the gas station mm-hmm. and I, I try to use my credit card break formation I break formation and there's a hole a missing man jeez I, I pull in and I realize the card that I'm using the credit card it's a Canadian credit card it won't accept it so I can't pay at the pump and I'm freaking out and I run inside and there's a guy mopping <laughs> And I give him 20 bucks, and I'm like, it's the big car with the wing. And I run back outside, and he finds, of course, he sees it. He turns the pump on. So I'm pumping gas. At this point, the parade is it keeps going, right? Mm-hmm. And all these yeah, dudes no and, and ladies and vipers are mocking me as they mm-hmm. drive by. They're making fun of me. They're waving. And um, I, I'm pumping the gas. I'm, I'm putting in my 20 bucks. And this other ACR pulls in behind me, and I'm like, oh, I'm not alone anymore. I don't feel so stupid. And a lady gets out of the passenger side and goes right to the gas pump. Doesn't yeah. even look around. And I, I try to make some small talk. I'm like joking. I'm like, oh, hey, it looks like we're in the both. We both made the same uh, mistake this morning. She won't look at me. And I'm like, that's a little weird. And then a gentleman gets out from behind the wheel, and like he looks over at me once, and then we'll make eye contact again. <laughs> And I tried to joke with him and nothing. And all I can, re- and then I had the realization that unlike me, who made this mistake on his own, yeah. they had a conversation that Viper where they were like, "Oh, so you didn't put gas in the Viper before the giant Viper parade?" And then someone else said, "Well, I thought it was your job to put gas in the Viper." And someone <laughs> was like, "I didn't even think we should have bought a Viper in the first place." And so that was the conversation that happened. Do you think their relationship is still intact today? Are I you think, worried about that? I think Viper ownership tests many relationships, right. and I think it brings people together. I think it makes them stronger, and I think a small proportion of people probably <laughs> end their relationship in a Viper. Okay, so is it weird that the only thing coming to my mind now is, how did you get back into formation? Could you get back into formation? Well, there are all these cars third. zooming you were by. Like third in I line. was third, and you know what? Third, <laughs> third was important to me because I realized two things. One... I didn't want to be at the back of that line because it would take. It was taking a long time to go 20 miles. Mm-hmm. It took us 45 minutes. The second thing was I wanted to be able to park in a reasonable place. <laughs> I, didn't, I hadn't been to the concourse yet, and I didn't know where we were going to park. And I was like, if I'm Viper 150, <laughs> I'm probably going to be way off in the booties, and that's going to suck. So I, I managed to... I wait until someone lets me out because it's just Vipers streaming by, which is amazing. And there are people lining the sides of the road. And it's Detroit. People like cars, so they're yeah. waving and stuff. It's it's a good atmosphere. I zoom out. <laughs> I zoom out between the cars. And then I'm looking. We have four lanes of boulevard open to us. We're just using the far right lane. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go for it. And I put it in third gear and I hammer it. And I hit, I'm like 50 miles an hour. And I'm zooming past all these Vipers. And there's police motorcycles zooming by me with their lights on because they have to get to the next intersection. 
and I get to this 90 degree corner and a guy stops his viper and waves me through makes a hole wow. and now I'm on the inside of this big line of vipers and I'm like yeah this is gonna work I'm, I passed no joke at least 100 vipers yeah. it was a good 3 to 5 minutes of driving at speed to get to the front of the line I finally see the front of the line again and I recognize the plate of the of the viper I was following. It said "sinister viper" or something. Well, that's the that's the beauty of uh, of vanity. Oh, plates, sinister right? SRT. That's, that's what it was. It. And as I'm almost at the front of the line, and this police cruiser <laughs> pulls up beside me, and the guy's got his window down. He's like, "Get back in line! You need to get back in line!" And he's upset. And I'm like, "All right." So I cut back in, and I make it, and everything's fine. And it was funny because the gentleman who was behind me. I don't know why, but he pulled his Viper out into the second lane and was cruising there for a while, and he had another cop freak out at him for not being in formation. Mm-hmm. I can understand them. Our trips, these cops are on. No, I don't <laughs> think so. They were super helpful. I mean, they taken time out of their day to earn overtime, you know, hurting a group of Vipers. But at the same time, there were, there were police cars zooming by, and I guess they just didn't want some dude, like, out of oh, formation. Right. You don't want to run into the back of that with a motorcycle. But we, we showed up at, uh, at uh, the... M1 concourse around 12.30, 1pm and uh, parked a whole gaggle of Vipers and a huge cacophony of V10 noise. So, for listeners, I'm actually going to bring up something very interesting. This story touches one of my deepest uh, like anxieties, which is uh, fuel. I have huge range anxiety and fuel anxiety. When I see a light pop up on the thing, like I am looking, no matter what, if whatever's at stake... It's not worth it unless I get some <laughs> gas, right? And now I realize I didn't realize that you have parking anxiety. <laughs> Where am I going to park my car? Well, I, you don't, you don't, you don't want to be buried. I mean, yeah. you just don't. So Pay the valet to this keep is it up the front. worst situation for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> we would have, we would have killed people. Yeah, yeah. The cool thing was uh, there was a kid. Uh, it rained a couple times during the day, but it only rained for like five minutes at a time. It was frustrating. Um, Anyway, there was a kid who came up to me, and he he was super into the Viper, and you know he got. Oh I, yeah, just one kid was into your Viper. That's well, ridiculous. I didn't hang around with the car most of the day, <laughs> and you know he got. I I was like, yeah, just check it out. So like he hung out inside the car for like ten minutes, and his dad was telling me that when he got to the event, he'd been really into Challengers, and he was super into the the, the Hellcats and stuff, right. but he'd never seen a Viper before. And as soon as he saw the Vipers, he was like, oh, I have to have a Viper now. Like this Hell kid, yeah. like seven, eight years old. So they, these cars are, I think they really touch car people. They're, they're not like anything else that's out there. This is what hurts me the most about the car being discontinued. Um, it was introduced 1989, 1990-ish. Well, it was a, 90, it was, it was a concept car in, in like 89, I in think. In 89. Or, or early 90s, but the first, the first model year is 92. 92, yeah. okay. So I was, I was four years old, five. I was starting to recognize things in the world, different cars, and I think the Viper is like stands out. That '96 model year, in particular, that, that generation, second generation, second generation, is a sharp car with that blue with two white stripes down the middle of it. That's the classic Viper image. I had a photo of. I had. I had a, at least one poster of that, and I still like that. To me, is what really ingrained that car. That car. And that automotive enthusiasm, enthusiasm in me. Look, for and, me, it was the only modern car I had on my wall as a kid. I had everything else was classic cars, and but I had that '97, '96 GTS, the blue with the white stripes, just like yours. And it's gonna hit. It's really gonna hit uh, hard when these cars are not gonna be available. And and you know there was, was there a model year it wasn't available at all? Yeah, there was. Uh, didn't a it take years. a break after Gen Four? I believe yeah. there was at least a year, if not two, where there was none being made before this SRT model, right? Yes. And then there was no SRT model, and then it became a Dodge again. No, it's it's still SRT. It, the nomenclature is confusing. I believe it's like Dodge SRT Viper. 
So, it's don't worry about it. I mean, the, <laughs> the truth is a viper is a viper. It's and, still it's the program is still managed by SRT. So I wonder what will happen now because there has to clearly there is demand for these cars. There is. Every time they say that they're done with them, they sell out. Every time they say, okay, we've got the last couple units, they sell out. Yeah, but it's like being the Eagles. You can only have so many farewell tours before people stop coming. So it, I think the, I don't know if you can keep relying on that enthusiasm. I think the problem is the car, when it, this generation car, when it was initially introduced, was poorly priced. Mm-hmm. I think they misjudged the market and they revised the pricing within a year or two years. But I think the damage was done. And I think Corvette ate up a lot of their sales. And we've talked about it in the past. The lack of yep. an automatic has made a big, big hole in in their uh, pool of available buyers. I wonder if in the future there's going to be a demographic of people who want the. This is going to become a classic, I think. I think it already is a classic. This okay. I mean, this generation. Yeah. This last. It's run. entirely possible. It's if they enough. never bring it back again. The ACR certainly because and there's nothing else like. And it. it's also limited run. Yeah. Um, but I also wonder if they never make it where that where that Viper mentality that viper car that modern supercar or it is i don't know if you want to call it a supercar it's High end 100 percent a supercar super, supercar modern i would say attainable it's not like a lamborghini in, in a in or anything like that no where is that going to come car. from yeah where is that going to come from where are we going to get that again well the z06 is performance wise very similar to the viper but that's a that's a Corvette. You can get a fifty thousand dollar Corvette. That's true. But I'm just saying. I mean, if you want an affordable supercar, Z06 is pretty much that. That's true. So I I mean that's that's the thing that really stands out to me. There's cars that really capture your imagination, capture your automotive enthusiasm. These cars sounded awesome. They looked great. When you say Viper, like you you automatically envision that car. Yeah, and it has an image. It has a, an image of being a, a difficult car to drive, a, a car that, uh, yeah. that you, you, you have to pay attention and you have to actually drive it, hence the lack of an automatic transmission and until this model year, any form of electronic assistance. Yeah. So what about other cars that are being... Other cars that are being discontinued. Any uh, any thoughts about that? Anything else that should ha- be given a send off for all three hundred owners of the? <laughs> I would actually like to save that for a future podcast. Oh, okay. Because I Let's do think have about some it, ideas. I don't, rem- I don't remember anything getting discontinued right now. But you know what? I, I do have a see... list that I want to go through. Because I would that's love a to very see... interesting topic. Do you have one one car idea? I have one car idea. One car idea of a vehicle that's being discontinued that they should do something special for with the last. One. Oh, do something special for with the last one. Yeah. See, that's kind of that's kind of a different thing, you know. Because that's I, what they did with this Viper. They 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 got they gathered these people during this moment. But it's, it's an la- it's an enthusiast car, right? I'd I, I'd have to look at the list I have at home. I know that there's some cars that are being discontinued, <laughs> uh, like the Buick Verano is a perfect example that are really good cars. Yeah, and it's they're a shame. Yeah, they're victims of things that are entirely outside of their control. That's something I wanted to talk about in a future podcast okay. where we can the shifting market and what it does to good cars that just don't matter anymore. Uh, I was going to say, you know, remember the FJ Cruiser? Now, that's discontinued already, but I would have loved to see something very similar to what uh, Dodge and, and SRT did with the Viper, something with the 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 FJ Cruiser. I don't know if that did happen well, or not. I don't think so. I don't think the vehicle has enough of a history because I don't know how many people oh, link Land it. Cru- Land Cruiser. But it's not a Land Cruiser. That's the thing. And then all the Land Cruiser people would be like, it's not a Land Cruiser. <laughs> and then they wouldn't show up. And then, you know, it's... These cars are so well received, though. There's nobody. I don't think anyone craps on, a, on an FJ Cruiser. No, unless you're a Jeep owner. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, or an Xterra owner. Ooh. Burn. Is that, has that car been discontinued yet? <laughs> yeah, that, two, three years ago. Oh, I missed that car. Maybe, maybe a year Remember ago? real SUVs? That was a, that was a nice well, time. You can still buy a 4Runner. What are you complaining about? <laughs> 
Um, we're almost done. I have one more funny story I want to bring up to you, and maybe we can uh, we can riff on that for a moment. Um, there's been a lawsuit involving Porsche owners who have been complaining about their non-standard dash um, layout, which is so. If you get a if you have a a Porsche with a dash interior or interior that is not the flat standard black one, so it's an, an optional like a color yeah. or a light a light color or a dark color. Or... Apparently, the reflection has been so great that it has caused some owners to complain and issue a lawsuit. Wait, reflection from what? From the sun. So it hits the dash and it hits you in it the hits eyes? You right in the eyeballs. Wow. And they have to get sunglasses. Now, the lawsuit is being settled and now Porsche is having to to provide all of the owners of these cars with a, a pair of sunglasses that are priced around $150. Well, how much is this costing Porsche? I don't know. I wish I knew how many people this affects. But well, What's amazing to me, and we <laughs> talked about this earlier... Is someone was was so mad, a so Porsche mad. owner, Porsche owner was so someone. mad about the fact that they were getting glare in their eyes. They were like, "I'm going to sue Porsche," and then they were like, "Wait a minute, why don't I talk to one of my lawyer friends first? And then the lawyer friend was like, "You know what? If you could talk to other people who are mad like you're mad, we could probably make a whole bunch of money." And then the guy was like, uh, "I just want a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> let's just keep it. Let's just leave it there." <laughs> Like, this is something that could have been handled at the dealer level. <laughs> but no, they took it to Porsche corporate, they sued, they won. Who knows how many pairs of sunglasses they'll have to sell to ma- to pay the lawyer fees. <laughs> like, you can't, no one's is, keeping the sunglasses. Insane. It's actually the most bizarre thing I've ever read. Are the uh, lawyers being paid in sunglasses? <laughs> because that's not how class actions work. Um, what makes it even more bizarre to me is... Um, is that it's cars from from 2007, I believe, to 2015 or, or 16 with this with these interiors. First of all, now you and I both know we would I would paint a, a Porsche and a Porsche owner as being relatively wealthy. Okay, sure, somebody who could afford a pair of sunglasses on their own if they were conf- if they were upset that they were getting. I would in their like eyes. to say there's probably no Porsche owner who does not own a pair of sunglasses already. <laughs> So if I was involved in this class action lawsuit, I would be upset. I would want a real solution. Sunglasses. Another sunglass for the pile. Another pair. <laughs> you can only stack so many sunglasses in the in the useless back seats of your 911. What other have you ever been in a car that you needed you needed like there was an obvious design flaw or not even an obvious design flaw. Yeah, the uh the I remember uh I'll one, tell you one. I got one. Uh, well, mine was the Lincoln Continental with the uh the full grand piano dashboard, <laughs> but it was like reversed, so it was like ebony keys with ivory, ivory black keys, you know. Okay. Like, and and I don't know who thought that was a good idea. First of all, you don't need a grand piano inside a car. Second of all, <laughs> it was super glossy and noisy over every bump. It was just jangle, 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 and uh, and distracting. And distracting. Uh, on a more <laughs> so the first generation, the first year that the FRS. And the and the Subaru BRZ existed. There was no padding on the door panel and on the center console. Well, it's not a Cadillac. Okay. So when you would now you would take this car on an autocross circuit or a, or a, or a track, as people were encouraged to do with these vehicles, and you would take your first corn, corner, and you would smash your knees right into this plastic thing, and it would leave you pretty bruised. Eventually, the next actually the next model year they put knee pads there. 
or little padding padded zones there. But what about all those first first year old owners with their bent at their their bashed up so legs? What, so there should their class action lawsuit be for some knee pads? Is <laughs> yeah. that is exactly. that what you're getting? So yeah. you have to dress up like a professional baseball catcher to drive your first generation BRZ? I would love that. I really would appreciate that. Toyota, Subaru, uh, Scion, if there's any remnant of no. Scion out there. We do not speak to the Scion remnant. We have no knowledge of their location. The do Scion not, cell. Do not tweet us about the Scion remnant. And... If you can help me out with this, uh, these these bruised look. There's not even hair growing over here. Look at this. Look at the situ. I blame the the FRS. It's radio. No one can see what you're doing right now. It's just for the rest. Um, I would love to know. Th- I think this sets a really a really weird precedent going forward for just random, random. It's true. Like, to be what about, about glare from your pickup truck bed into your mirror, your rearview mirror? Is that going to be a thing now? Remember when Lincoln made the Blackwood? Yeah, yeah. So do you think they they so the Blackwood was or the ex- Mark? What are they called? They call the Mark LT was a different story, oh, okay, also unsuccessful. Sake. But the, the the Blackwood was spectacularly unsuccessful because they took a, an F one fifty and made it less practical. <laughs> and one of the ways they did that was they put a, a tonneau cover on the back that was you couldn't remove it; it was just there. And the the tailgate opened like barn doors. <laughs> So, um, I guess, in a way, they were preventing glare. <laughs> yes. So, it was better than the piano car that I yeah, drove. Yeah. But not much better, because no one... But I think they made, like, what about, less than 3,000. It was a crazily low number. What about all of the potential um, employees who arrived at an interview in a Mitsubishi Mirage, and... Uh, and no one could see them? <laughs> No, yeah, because they were completely ignored. You lose your car in a parking lot if you own a Mirage every single time. You're yeah. like, what's going on? This is terrible. I thought this was my car, but it's actually a golf cart or a shopping cart or maybe someone else's kid. <laughs> it's Yeah, or any other really embarrassing ride. Like, this is this has ruined my status in society. You, you owe me one. So you're saying that if you own a Mirage, there should be a lawsuit? Yeah. You, or you should get 10,000 extra Instagram followers. Or you, <laughs> there should just be a no, bot that just here's what it is. your status. If you own a Mirage, the last, the last <laughs> class action lawsuit, if you win, you get a Micra. <laughs> <laughs> or a time machine, one-time trip back to before you bought the Mirage into a Nissan dealership yes. so you can buy a Micra. And for our American listeners, we realize this isn't an option. Because the Micra is only sold in Canada, but the Micra is basically everything the Mirage should have been, but cheaper. <laughs> yeah, and slightly better, actually. Um, I would love to see what else this this leads to. People have the most bizarre requests from automakers and complaints. Uh, it's interesting to see one actually being acted on, and uh, and the, the the automaker responding. That's insane. I know, and you know, this isn't like keys falling out and ending your, igni- your turning off your ignition this is like i need some sunglasses <laughs> so i'm gonna hire a lawyer it sounds like something straight out of better call Saul. it seems like it sounds like you'll be watching late night tv and there would be an ad and he's like do you have this glare problem in your porsche 911 panamera cayenne macan boxster cayman do you have abdominal mesh internal bleeding issues? If you said yes to one of those things, call now. Uh, speaking of which, I will be uh, calling in regards to any of those concerns. I'm, you, you my abdominal, abdominal yeah, my abdominal mesh is in bad shape. So that's why I have to say goodbye to our listeners just right now. We'll get it sorted out next week. Sammy hates finishing the podcast while sitting in a pool of his own blood, but he's a trooper, and he, he held in there. 
next week I'm going to Pebble Beach, and uh, we can either do a podcast before, be, or before, or after that. So hopefully we can. Uh, me and Ben will sort this out. This is all coming up live to his face right now. Um, Sounds pretty fancy. <laughs> Sounds like a fancy weekend for Sammy. Um, well, some of my colleagues are actually going to Woodward at the same time, which oh, yeah. is always an interesting uh, contrast. So I'm going to say, um, if you want to listen to more of our podcast, you can find us at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Or you can search Unnamed Automotive Podcast in iTunes or Google Play Music. And if you do listen to us on either of those services, just leave us a rating. Any kind of rating. It helps a lot. It helps other people find us. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at Unnamed Automotive Podcast. That's the name of our page there. And on SoundCloud. Yeah, please let us know that you exist. It makes us feel a little bit better. Uh, you can also get in touch with Ben or myself. On Twitter is where I like to be uh, gotten in touch <laughs> with. He likes to be digitally touched by your tweets. Uh, you can find me at Sammy underscore ha, and you can find Ben at Hunting Benjamin. And uh, we know you're out there. We can see the downloads. We know you're listening, and we appreciate it, and it would be cool to hear from you, too, and uh, just get some feedback on what you'd like to hear on the show. Thank you very much, and uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Goodbye.